0: Welcome to our service of worship here at First Church of New Knoxville. Once again, it is so good to have you here with us in church this morning. And welcome also to those that are listening on the radio and watching along on Facebook. We're going to start our service of worship with a prelude.
1: It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I am loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. i call me deeper still as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still into love 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 you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and I am loved by you
0: Once again, I'm so glad that you have all decided to join us for worship here at First Church of New Knoxville. Uh for those of you who are listening on the radio or watching our Facebook live, you can find a copy of our bulletin on our church website at firstchurchnk.org. As we've been doing these last 11 or so weeks now, uh we have been printing the lyrics to the music we're listening or we're singing this morning in the bulletin. So I encourage you if you have not had a chance to do so to pull that up and follow along with us. There are several announcements in the bulletin I want to highlight for us this morning. Uh, one is a, just an additional note about uh, the exterior doors of the church. Uh, as you know, we put out an announcement last week that we have begun to lock the, the doors during the week. Um, and the reason we are doing that is, again, to make sure that that when we gather for worship on Sunday morning, that this place is clean, is sanitized. With everything going on, we just want to make sure we can ensure that environment um, as we gather as a church body to worship on Sunday mornings. Um, And so we have, uh, as you arrived this morning, you know, we've been encouraging you to use those two uh, entrances, Uh, but in case of emergency, all the doors are equipped with crash bars. They all, you can exit out any one of the doors of the church at any time. So in case there is an emergency, you can head to the closest exit and still find your way out. Um, I just want to, we had some questions come up this week and I just wanted to reassure you all that, that though those exterior doors are locked, any one of them can still be used as an exit at any time. A um, couple other things that I want to highlight for us this morning: uh, Junior and Senior High Youth Group are having a cookout at Pastor Tory's house on Tuesday, June 2nd, from 6:30 to 8. Uh, this is the first time that they're they're gathering together again uh, as as a youth group since this coronavirus pandemic began, and so it's going to be a great opportunity to uh, to gather, to fellowship. Um, they are going to be you know outside. They're going to be doing you know social distancing and everything as well. So um, I just encourage you if you're part of the youth. Group Group here at First Church. Even if you haven't been active in youth group and would like to come, it's a great opportunity to reconnect and spend some time with with fellow students. Um, one other note, as, or a couple other notes. Uh, the director of music job opening uh, is available. The information is available at the Info Center here in the church. There's also copies you can find on our website. Uh, today is uh, Eric Hirschfeld's last official day as, as our director of music here at the church, and we're going to be honoring him later on in the service. But uh, for those that are interested, you can find information about that job opening uh, hard copies at the Info Center as well as on our church website. Uh, one other sad note I do want to uh, re- to share with you this morning is that Pastor Tori and I met with Pastor Dennis from the Methodist Church this past week to discuss our uh, plans for Vacation Bible School this summer. As you know, we originally were supposed to have it uh, this week. It was supposed to start tomorrow of all times. Um, and, and we, months ago, decided that obviously the first part of June was not going to work with everything going on. We potentially, uh, we had uh, postponed it f- for potential dates in the middle of July but this week we uh, met and decided that it was in the best interest of uh, for health and safety of our of our kids of our volunteers as well as the families and the community as a whole that we that we can't that we do not move forward with VBS this year i know it's uh, it's a disappointment it's it's a disappointment for me as well as i know for many families that have been uh, so involved in that over the years but we feel like uh, with with the current restrictions that are in place and everything that would need to be done to ensure a safe healthy environment for our kids uh, that it was just a, too far of a task for us to, to be able to do. So uh, we are uh, canceling Vacation Bible School for this summer, uh, but keep, be on the lookout for other activities, other ways that we can still engage our community and, and fellowship with the, with the Methodist Church uh, throughout the summer. We're working on some plans for that. So uh, this time I do want to invite forward Pastor Tori. She's going to share a call to worship with us this morning.
2: Please stand for our call to worship this morning. Our um, call to worship comes from Psalm 147, verses 1 through 12. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise Him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Great is the Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble, but casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the heart. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor in the de- his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who hear him, who, who put his hope in unfailing
3: love. Extol the Lord Jerusalem. Praise your God's
2: Son. Now if you'll remain standing for our first hymn, How Great Thou Art, hymn number four.
0: seated it's time I invite carolyn Lammers lamersford she's going to share a children's chat with us this morning once again for the children that are present here with us i encourage you to just stay stay in your seats with your families during this time thank you
3: and those in the balcony that did not get a little pinwheel i have them down front later on how many show me the ones who got these show them what do you do with them The wind blows them and they spin. Did you see that air? Did you see the air at all? No. Well, let me do it again. Do you see the air when you blow yours? How do we know the air moved? How do we know if there's wind? We can feel it on our face if we're outside. We can see the tree branches blow our hair gets messed up those of us that have some otherwise no problem isn't that cool though something and the wind can be really powerful can it it can blow down trees and all kinds of things but how magic is that but you know there's something else that we can't see and that's the holy spirit and today is a special day in the church do you ever watch why the colors of these change it's red today because it's pentecost and pentecost is when god sent a part of him down in the form of the holy spirit to Jesus' disciples and his followers very special day they always talk about the Holy Spirit like a dove. That's the way they refer to it. And that came with a big wind. And they had pieces of fire coming down. And his followers and his disciples found out that they could go and speak all kinds of different languages now. Because there's was a big celebration going on at the time. And then they could go and spread the word of Jesus' love through all different lands. But when the Holy Spirit comes to us, we can't see him, just like the wind when you blow your pinwheels. But he's there and he talks to us about what's right and wrong. He helps us feel his presence of God in him because that's a part of God in us. In our daily lives and he's there whenever we have trouble so he's been with us the last several weeks so when you think about your pinwheel and you put it on your bike or you take it outside when the winds blowing think about the Holy Spirit you can't see that either like you can't see the wind but it's definitely there let us say a prayer please Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Holy Spirit, even though we can't see him. We are thankful that we can hear him speak to us in our hearts, that we can feel his presence in our daily lives, and see him moving us to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you, Carolyn. This time in the service, I'd like to invite forward uh, Eric Hirschfeld. Take a moment and, and recognize his ministry here at First Church. So when Eric submitted his resignation a couple months back, I guess we can't imagine how these last few months would have gone at that point. Uh, the timing of it was quite, I mean, we couldn't, couldn't have predicted the way it worked out. We announced... You know you shared that with me, we shared that with the choir um, that next sunday we we shared that with the church and then the pandemic hit and things were just not the same over these last couple months. I know when we we originally talked, we talked about wanting to you know celebrate you and, and with the, with the choir these last couple months and just really kind of go all out have a have a celebration, but unfortunately, the way that this all worked out, we were not able to do that, but we still want to recognize you and honor you today, and, and just take a moment and just, I just want to share how much I appreciate all that you've done for, for First Church for the last 15 years, and I think uh, 43 years total, is that right, as a choir director in various churches, you've really made an impact on on a lot of people, and we appreciate that. I, I shared that about the, the last couple months, because I don't want... Um, I don't want us to, to miss an opportunity to celebrate you. And so, and so what we do have planned is at some point in a later date when things calm down a little bit and we're able to, to gather together with less restrictions. We still do want to have a, a time of celebration, a reception for you after church one day and, and we'll get all the details out at, at a later date when that time is appropriate. But I hope that we can still celebrate you and your ministry at that time as well. I do want to take a moment. Uh, I know we don't have everybody here that would normally be here on a Sunday morning, but if you have spent any time with Eric in a choir, whether that's vocal choir, bell choir, even Sunday school choir that we've been working on, recently. I'd like you to take a moment and just stand up. It's a lot of people there. I think when we we talk about the impact that that a director of music has for worship, we often think of the music that we sing and that we are able to enjoy on Sunday mornings, and that's certainly a part of it. But the impact you've had is not just the music we sing, but the people that you've had the, the opportunity to minister to. And each one that's standing here represents someone that you've impacted. And, and it was really a joy to me to, in the last newsletter, to hear and read some of those stories and some of those thank yous that, that people submitted and see some of those pictures that, that were shared. Um, and just the kind of impact that you had, not just on the music that took place here, but also the people that you're able to work with. So I just want to take a moment and recognize that and thank you for that as well. You guys can all be. Thanks.
4: The on. Um, all, you, all of you singers out there, thank you so much. It has been a joy and a pleasure to work with you. All you ringers, was um, We had a lot of fun. Um, I'd like to thank all of you for donating your time because it made my job so easy because you were so easy to work with, so much fun, uh, so much talent, and I do appreciate it. Um, is Kay Noldy here today? Kays in Alabama. Okay, well, if you get this uh, recording, thank you for all your support and your help and your compliment. Sharon, thank you so much. You've been a joy to work with. Um, thanks, especially. <laughs> it's not
0: easy. It's not easy. <laughs>
4: Special thanks to my lovely wife and my children. Um,
0: You're
1: good.
0: We understand. We understand. Um, you know, your ministry impact, like I said before, was not just on the music that we're able to sing together, although that was of course a blessing, but also on the people that you were able to work with. Um, I do want to thank God for, for all that He's done in and through you over the the last fifteen years here at First Church, but also forty three years of, of ministry overall. Um I even got a chance to serve alongside you in Germany on that mission trip and that was a great opportunity to get to know you and Jaina better as well. So uh we do have a gift for you on behalf of consistory and the congregation of First Church. We want to just say thank you for your time here and, you. and all that you've done. And I'd love to take a moment and pray for you as well. So Father God, I do thank you for Eric and I thank you for all that he all that you have done in him and through him through for the ministry of First Church and the other churches that he served in the past. Thank you for 15 years of faithfulness to, to this church, uh, to the people that he, that he ministered to and worked alongside. And Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for, for him and for all that, all that he is. Lord, I, I pray for a special blessing on him and Jana as he enters into this new season of life and into uh, retirement from this uh, music ministry, and I just pray that whatever you have in store for him next, that you would bless him and that, and that you would guide him each step of the way. We thank you for that and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Can I try one.: Oh you of course one, can try one more time.: <laughs>
1: I've regained, third
4: time I've re- regained my composure. I wanted to thank Jana. She told me that the minister that married us um, I was, I was directing the choir already when we were dating. And then, of course, when we got married, uh, her minister never forgave her because we never came back to her church hardly at all because St. Paul's Church in New Bremen just snatched her into the soprano section. I mean, from the first time I told them I was engaged, they said, what does she sing, soprano or alto? Um, so, you know, she has followed me faithfully from New Bremen to St. Mary's to here. Um, and she sung in the choir all those years. All my children grew up um, they never knew what a skip sunday was because jana got them dressed and drug them to church every week um, and never put them in the nursery she wanted them in the pew with her um, and um, maybe that's why they all love god and hopefully will serve god all of their lives because they all have a love for music too because they didn't really have a choice so thank you to my family and thank you to all you singers and ringers
0: As we go to the Lord in prayer together again, I just want to take a moment to remind you that you are still able to give. Uh, Our offering this morning goes to support our radio ministry, and what a blessing the radio ministry has been over the last, I mean over the decades that we have had that, but especially over the last uh, couple months as we've had to really rely on that to continue to worship together. So the designated offering today is going to support the radio ministry. You can give as you exit the building today and you can always, of course, give online as well. Let's take a moment and pray together. Father God, we do thank you and give you all the praise and glory. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the way that you call people and the way that you work through people, Lord, to make an impact for your kingdom. Again, we thank you for Eric and thank you for his ministry here at First Church. Lord, we, we do lift up our, our community, our nation, our world. Lord, there's a lot of people that are still hurting, a lot of, uh, a lot of needs that need to be met. And so we ask, Lord, in all things that you would provide for your people that, and that you would use your people, Lord, to be a blessing to those that you have surrounded us with. And so we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's continue to sing about God's goodness and his love. The song is How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture reading today is from First Thessalonians chapter two, verses one through sixteen. Again, I encourage you if you have a, your own Bible with you or have access to a Bible app on your phone or tablet, I encourage you to follow along as we read God's word together. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up our greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom in glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God, God's churches in Judea and are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They dis- displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved in this way they always heap up their sins to the limit the wrath of God has come upon them at last let's pray Lord God I thank you for the reading of your word and I pray now as we take a closer look at it together that you would guide our hearts and minds and, and help us to to be ready to receive what you have for us today we pray this in Christ's name amen I main emphasis uh, of, of last week's chapter, which was 1 Thessalonians 1, was on was on how the believers received the gospel message with joy, so much so, in fact, that Paul commended them for being a shining example, not only in Thessalonica, but throughout the whole region. Here in chapter 2, which is our focus for today, Paul's attention shifts from the believers themselves to Paul and his companions. It seems that someone in the church must have questioned Paul's motives for ministry. Paul takes the opportunity to remind the Thessalonians about his ministry, and and in doing so, he really is defending himself. If any one of you have ever had your motives questioned, you can understand where Paul is coming from here. Now, I understand that I'm not talking to a room full of ministers here. Paul's emphasis here is about the the validity of his ministry and the motives for his ministry. And I know that I'm not talking to a room full of pastors, but I am talking to a room full of people who have a ministry. Every one of you has a ministry. Have you ever realized that? If you are in Christ, right, if you are a child of God, then he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Therefore, you need to pay attention to passages like this just as much as as I do as a pastor. We all need to learn how to examine our own motives and why our motives matter so much. So Paul here in the first section here, verses about one through through seven, he he lists a, a series of contrasting statements that reveal why motives matter. He says, just to kind of summarize them for us, he says that it's not without results, but having suffered and been treated outrageously. Their motivation wasn't out of error or impure motives or trickery, but as those who have been approved by God. He was not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts, not with flattering words or a mask to hide greed, but with God as their witness. And not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, but becoming like children among you. These contrasting statements reveal three things about, about people with impure motives, about the wrong kind of motives. And first, we see that people with impure motives abandon ship at the first sight of trouble. Paul points to the fact that he and his companions were willing to suffer for the gospel as evidence of their that their motivations are pure. See, so the gospel had an impact, but it wasn't without opposition. Go back some time and, and read Acts chapter 17. That's when we read about Paul's trip to Thessalonica. The people there eventually got so upset that they accused Paul of turning the entire world upside down. The authorities tried to arrest Paul, but they couldn't find him. Instead, they arrested Paul, excuse me, the person Paul was staying with. Paul and Silas had to be led out of town in the middle of an, in the middle of the night to avoid further persecution. Paul faced trouble of all kinds throughout his ministry, but his determination was the, to push forward as a sign that his motives were pure, and the gospel itself was worth it. Now think about that, right? If, if, if someone was being opposed at every sign, at every stop, at every turn, and their motivations weren't in the right place, you'd think that they would abandon ship eventually. But that's not what Paul and his companions do, and that's not what the, the martyrs of the early church did either. Think about the kind of suffering the apostles and other early church leaders faced. These people chose jail and floggings and public humiliation and even death rather than renounce the name of Jesus. Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 38, uh, tells us, speaking of the martyrs, speaking of people who suffered on behalf of the gospel, says that the world was not worthy of them. I love that statement. The world was not worthy of them. An early church father named Tertullian is often credited with a quote that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You see, their willingness to not back down, even in the face of opposition, even in the face of persecution, was just proof that what they were doing was 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 good and pure. Right? That that they desired to see the gospel spread more than than out of more than a concern for their own safety or their own well-being. But someone with impure motives is going to jump ship at the first sign of trouble. Number two, a person with impure motives, are they're in it for their own personal gain. They're in it for their own personal gain. Paul reminds the Thessalonians that he did not bring the gospel in order to trick them or to use it as a cover-up for their greed. Too many so-called Christian leaders have tried to use the gospel as a way to make a quick buck. They try to take advantage of people in difficult situations, and unfortunately many of them succeed. When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he told them in Second Corinthians chapter two, verse seventeen, he said, Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. It was common in Paul's day uh, just as it was common in Paul's day just as now to see people trying to profit from the gospel. Reflecting on this passage, one commentator, commentator described how the ancient world was full of traveling philosophers and teachers. Right, they would travel in town into a new town, promote a new teaching, and stick around just long enough to pass the collection plate. As soon as they had money in hand, they would leave town in the middle of the night, never to be heard from again. There are plenty of examples today of people who claim to be Christian ministers that fit this bill as well. Right, I'm sure we've all seen our fair share of of Televangelists who claim to be, uh, to be trying to, to spread the gospel. Right? But more often than not, right, these people that you can tell that they are, they're being deceptive because the first thing they'll tell you is just to send them money, right, in order for to receive God's blessing. And if you ever come across someone who tells you that you must pay up in order to receive blessings from God, run in the opposite direction. Because that's just an indication that they're in it with impure motives for their own personal gain rather than truly a desire to see the gospel spread. When I was in college, a friend of mine would, would stay up at night and, and flip around channels. And, he, and every once in a while, you'd find one of those these televangelists that would be, be trying to get people to send money in, uh, for blessings. And, and he had a habit of calling into these people and giving them not his information, but a friend of his. And one time I was the lucky recipient of a letter in the mail from a ministry that had gotten my name and address from my friend. And so just, just, because I wanted to see what was in there. I opened the envelope and inside was this letter describing how I could get whatever I wanted from God. I could receive his blessing in whatever form I wanted to do. All I had to do was take this prayer rug, which was literally just a printed out picture of an oriental rug. I was supposed to unfold it, lay it on the ground, pray over it and ask God for whatever I wanted. Take that rug, fold it back up with some cash in the envelope and send it right back to him. And once I did that, I would receive a blessing from God. Right, people that were, operate, do you see how deceptive that is? Do you see how manipulating that can be? Especially to someone who's desperate. Right, Paul here is trying to show the Thessalonians that he is not like that. That he isn't a carpetbagger or a snake oil salesman. That he genuinely cares for them and he calls on God as a witness for his integrity. So people with impure motives jump ship at the first sign of trouble. They're in it for personal gain, but they're also concerned more about pleasing people than pleasing God. The prophet Jeremiah came toe-to-toe with people who fall in this category. When he stood before the king of Judah to warn about the impending judgment in the form of the Babylonian invasion, the court prophets dismissed him outright. These court prophets claimed to be speaking for God, but they were really just telling the king what he wanted to hear. How do you think they got to be court prophets in the first place? They were the king's yes-men. So read, take a look at Jeremiah chapter 6. This is what God has to say to these court prophets. Jeremiah 6, verses 13 through 15. He says, From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as if it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no Peace. And they they, are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen and they'll be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. They weren't preaching a message from the Lord. They were just saying what people what they thought people wanted to hear. It reminds me of what Paul warns Timothy about in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, when he says the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And I have to be honest with you for a moment. This one is the hardest for me because I'm a people pleaser by nature. It's something that I've had to learn to kind of push back against in my life and in my ministry. But here's the bottom line. Here's what I've come to realize. If, our, if your number one motivation is to make everyone around you happy, or if you're more concerned about whether or not someone will like you, it'll be impossible to be fully committed and obedient to the gospel. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Or maybe let me put it this way for you. You cannot serve both God and your reputation. You cannot serve both God and public in the court of public opinion. You cannot serve both God and your social status. There'll be moments when the truth of the gospel runs counter to the prevailing wisdom in this world. There'll be moments when following Jesus will be unpopular and it may cost you something. And so you have to ask yourself, am I more concerned with pleasing people or with pleasing God? And you don't, and you can't wait until you're in the moment to decide what you're gonna do. Cause by then it'll be too late. When I was a youth pastor, I always told my kids that you need to decide now how you're going to react when confronted with a hard decision. Decide now what you're gonna do when you're at a friend's house and you're offered drugs or alcohol. Decide what to do now when, when you are going, what you're gonna do when you find yourself alone with a boyfriend or girlfriend and your parents are gone. But let me, let me update this idea here a little bit for you. For the adults in the room, you have to decide now what you're going to do when you're offered a way to cut some corners at work in order to make a few extra bucks. You need to decide what you're going to do now when your friends or family make racist or sexist or other some other indecent comments about certain groups of people decide now the kind of person that you want to be in those situations, because if your main concern is with pleasing them rather than God, you're certainly going to fail. So we see here that Paul describes some some impure motives and what they look like what they look like and he's he's pushing back against us and saying this isn't me. And then he goes on in the second section of our scripture today verses 7 through 12 to describe what that pure motives when your heart is in the right place what that looks like and it leads ultimately to genuine care of others. And there's three things I want to highlight from this section as well. First is that is that pure motives, genuine care for others, leads to a shared life. Paul compares his relationship with the Thessalonians as that of a mother and a child. He not only shared the gospel with them, he not only told them the truth, but he also loved them and cared for them too. He taught them not as an outsider, not as but as one who lived among them and shared his life with them. And so he he, he calls them out here. He asks them to remember what his time spent there was like, how he lived and worked right alongside them. And why does Paul bring this up? Because when your motives are legit and when you genuinely care for others, you're going to invest in them. There's no better way to show God's love to another person than to pour into their life, to come alongside them in the highs and the lows and everything else in between. Think about this in terms of evangelism. Put yourself in an unbeliever's shoes. Would you be willing to listen to the gospel? Listen to someone you've never met share the gospel. When I was in college, I waited tables for a few years at Red Lobster. And I hate to say this now, but Sundays were the absolute worst day to work. You worked as as we actually had a saying about it with uh, the other servers uh, that about Sunday afternoon shifts. You worked twice as hard for half the tips. Anyways, I was I was working one Sunday afternoon and one of my tables had was a family that had obviously just come from church uh, and and they were sitting down and sharing a meal and they were they were so nice they were so polite everything went smoothly. Uh, they, they paid their bill, and, and, and uh, the book was left on the table, and I was just kind of waiting around, waiting them for, for them to get up and go so I could bust the table and prepare it for the next, next customer. And so as I went over, after they left, I stacked up the dirty plates, I, I picked up the receipt book that was left on the table. And in the place where people usually leave a tip, they left a gospel tract. You guys know what I'm talking about. You little pamphlets that talk about heaven and hell and, and explain the grace of God. But it didn't do much to supplement my $2.14 an hour I was making as a server at Red Lobster. As a believer, I was offended, right? But I was relieved that it happened to me and not one of my coworkers that that were not believers at the time. Right, while, while the truth laid out in the gospel tract was technically true, it was not communicated in a way that was going to elicit positive change in a person's life. In fact, it may have had the exact opposite effect than what it was intended. Now, a side note here, and I'm not. this is not meant to be one of the main points of the sermon, but if you're going to go out to lunch after church today, please tip well. Your servers know that you just came from church, and they understand that, and it really does go a long way to make a difference. Now contrast that though with the conversation you may have had you may have with a trusted friend right someone you know that cares about you and genuinely concerned for your well-being wouldn't you be more willing to listen to that person than what a stranger has to say I know I would right? very few people i believe have ever been converted through heated theological debates or facebook rants but i've heard plenty of testimonies about how the gospel took root in the life of a person because a believer genuinely cared for them over a long period of time, right? There's no replacement for in-person, life-on-life connections. And God has a habit of using those relationships to bring truth into a person's life. Second thing Paul says here is that these, that in that shared life together, as he poured out his life into these Thessalonian believers, that they were also examples of godly living. Paul goes on to say that while they lived among the Thessalonians, loving and caring for them like a mother would, he also gave them an example to follow. Verse 10 says, You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless you were among those who believed. Sometimes our words are not enough. Right? We can speak the truth, but we also need to live the truth. If we desire to share the, see the gospel spread, if we desire to see God's kingdom come in this world, Right, We need to genuinely care for those around us. We need to walk, talk the talk and walk the walk. 1 Peter 2, 11-12 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. I love that statement. People can disagree with what you have to say; they can argue your theology until they're blue in the face. But I believe it's impossible to argue against a life that's demoted, devoted fully to loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. There's no case, no argument against that sort of life. And so, Paul, and so so pure motives, genuine care for others, lives to examples of godly living. But it also encourages others to do the same. You can find the last example of genuine care that Paul describes in this passage in verses 11 through 13. Bringing this parenting analogy full circle, Paul describes himself as a father who cares for his children, a father who encourages, comforts, and urges his children to live a life worthy of God. He shared his life with them, he set an example for them, and now he's asking them to follow suit. If you genuinely care for someone... You want the best for them, right? That's, that's what it means to care for someone. But not the best as defined by our culture, and not even the best that are defined, that we, as we define it ourselves. Seeking the best for someone means seeking God's best for them. It's wanting them to genuinely know and experience the gospel, the life-changing grace of God for themselves. I mean, think about it. How much, how much do you have to hate someone? to know the power of the death and resurrection of Christ for yourself and not be willing to share it with them. Right? True love of neighbor means not only caring for their physical well-being, but their spiritual well-being also. That brings us to the last few verses of this passage. And, and to be completely honest, I was, I was up a little bit late last night thinking about how to close this out. When I first planned out the sermon, I was gonna take these closing verses and talk about the opposition we may face when we try to live out this kind of this kind of ministry, right? Living out what it means to to uh, have those pure motives, have a heart in the right place, and and pouring your lives out for other people. That even when our motive is right in the right place, even when we demonstrate genuine care through a shared life. Live it out by example and urge others to do the same. We may still face opposition. That's what Paul experienced. That's evidently evidently what the Thessalonians experienced as well. Paul says they suffered at the hands of their own people in much the same way that other churches suffered at the hands of the Jews. It's true. It's likely the case that we will experience pushback, the same kind of pushback that Jesus suffered, and he was perfect after all. Why should we expect anything less? This is true. But I want to take the sermon today, I want to close the sermon today by looking at these words from a different angle. Unfortunately, this passage and others like it have been used throughout history as a justification for violence against Jewish people. Paul's talking about specific instances of opposition from specific groups of people. Yet these passages have been ripped out of their context in order to justify inexcusable horrors and horrific violence. It is easy to name the Holocaust as an example, but that's, not the, that's just one of many instances over the centuries. Unfortunately, God's word has been abused to justify all sorts of terrible things, and slavery in the United States is yet another example. The Bible was once used as justification for elevating one racial group, mainly whites of European descent, over all others, all the while pointing at passages like this to justify their actions. See, the events of the last couple weeks have often, has once again highlighted the racial tensions that exist in our country. They are impossible to deny. Like many of you, I watched a video uh, this week of a black man named George Floyd choked to death when a police officer knelt on his neck for nine minutes. And before that, I heard the story of Breonna Taylor, a black woman who was shot and killed by police in her own home when they raided the wrong apartment. And before that I saw the video of Ahmed Aubrey a black man who was shot and killed by two white men during a so-called citizen's arrest when there was no apparent when the only apparent crime that he was committing was jogging through the neighborhood and before that countless others I don't know about you but it makes me sick to hear these stories again and again and again it really does break my heart and why am I sharing this with you today why do I bring this up today Today is Pentecost. This is the day when we remember the birth of the Christian church. We remember how God sent his Holy Spirit down upon the believers in the upper room, and they began to praise God. Peter went outside and he preached the first sermon. And while this was all happening, there were people gathered there from all over the known world. They were in Jerusalem to celebrate this very festival. And they all heard Peter and the other apostles speaking in their own language. And it says in Act two Acts two that many of them that day believed, three thousand people were saved. You see, from day one, the Church of God was a multi ethnic, multiracial, multinational body of believers. Always has been and always will be. In fact, when we get a picture of the church triumphant in Revelation 7, 9, they are described as a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the the throne and before the Lamb. If we want to be the church that God has called us to be, if we want to be the church as it was on the day of Pentecost and as it will be in the book of Revelation, we must be willing to love and care for all of our neighbors, especially those whose skin color is different than ours. And have very different experiences from us. See, all people, Christian and non-Christian alike, were created in God's image and are worthy of dignity and respect. Period. Full stop. If we truly desire to live for Christ, if we want to see his kingdom come and his will be done, if our motives are pure and we want to genuinely care for all people, we must seek out their well-being. And as scripture, as Jesus puts it pretty clearly in the story of the Good Samaritan, we don't get to pick and choose who our neighbor is. Our neighbor is anyone we find or we encounter who's in need. And over the last couple days, cities across our country, including Columbus, have been devastated by riots and looting. This is certainly not the answer. I am not here saying that that is a good and, and, and uh, beneficial course of action. Violence and threat and Violence and theft aren't going to solve any problems. But you know what else is wrong? Sitting by silently as we see injustice after injustice take place in our society, being unwilling to speak up for people of color, experiencing the reality of racism because it's too inconvenient for us to do so. You see, we must speak up even when it seems like it doesn't affect us because it really does. As Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. It doesn't do us any good to swing too far in the other way either and demonize entire groups of people like police officers, elected officials, or entire political parties. Right? right, It doesn't do us any good to to just further divide the gap there. There are so many good police officers, so many good elected officials, so many good in both political parties that are trying to do what they think is best. Remember, as Paul teaches us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So as we close out today, talking about what it means to have pure motives, what it means to truly and genuinely care for our neighbor, let's pray that God would give us opportunities to bring the light of the gospel into this dark world. Let's pray that he would purify our hearts and motives so that we can genuinely love and care for our neighbor, especially the neighbor who doesn't look or think like us. And let's pray, as Amos says, to let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. Let's pray. Lord God, you are good and you are, you are holy and just and righteous. And so we ask, Lord, that as your goodness, your grace, your love, your righteousness that would be made known in this place and all over the world, may we be examples of your light and your love even in, in difficult times like this. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we stand, let's sing this reminder that we are all, in fact, God's people. Number 283 in your hymnals, the words are in your bulletin. May the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You may go in peace.